0: Um, Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you would be with us this morning and help us um, as we prepare to hear your word. I pray that the hearts of the folks who are here would just be, be in a place where they would receive your word like like uh, uh, the soil receives seeds at, at uh, planting time, Lord. And I pray that your spirit would water and, and that um, growth would yield, that that, that growth would be uh, uh, glorifying to you, Lord, that, that we would look to your Son, our Savior, and, and uh, just, just sing our praises to him and point to him repeatedly, and, and uh, that everything that we do, Lord, um, in this message this morning, in this service this morning, that that um, it would glorify you. And I pray that um, you would just be with me and help me to say the right things as I go through this, this text today. Help me to be faithful and, and um, proper in doing it. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, can I? Okay. Um, I, uh, we're going to be looking at John 1. Um, and we're going to do this in little bits. Um, we'll see if we make it through all of John 1 this week. Um, uh, this, this passage I had selected, uh, it's, it's, it's tough. Um, there are actually whole classes in seminary on this book because it is tough. Um, it, is, it is difficult. This first chapter, um, there are books written on this first chapter. It's one of the most argued about bits of scripture that you're going to come across. It's John 1. Uh, we're only going to do the first 13 verses today, probably, um, and, and uh, we're going to do our best with it. But as we kind of dive into it, there's a, there's a, a, a concept that's going to come out here that's going to be harder to understand. And I'm going to do my best with it because it's a very difficult one to talk about without screwing it up, okay? Um, and that's the Trinity, right? Um, and I'm going to kind of um, um, – this is the idea that, that we have God, one God. Right, who is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These are three persons in God's, um, in God's character, but they are all one God. And I, I've been trying to it – it's so hard to come up with a good analogy because every analogy just kind of falls short, right? And, and uh, in fact, the first day of, of discussing Trinity in seminary, the lecturer talks about how you know the five most popular ways to explain it in children's sermon and why they're all wrong because you know, <laughs> it's, it's just a hard idea. Right. Um, and, and as we dive into it, actually, I'm going to talk about music for a minute. I'm listening to a, a lecture series right now on classical music because I, I don't know, because I, I got nothing else to do, I guess. Um, <laughs> and and uh, it, it's entitled like how to listen to and appreciate um, great music or, or something like that. And the first like five lectures are all history. And I, I just got to this part where they're talking about Baroque, which has prompted my wife to say, yeah, everybody makes the same joke. Um, <laughs> if it's not Baroque, don't fix it. Um, and, and in Baroque, there's a type of music that was invented, and, and, and um, it's called a fugue. And, and a fugue is like three minutes long or four minutes long. It's super short, right? And it has three parts all in the same instrument. And it's weird because it's very different from the way we listen to music. Like um, um, Kalen's up here playing. He's playing lead guitar, right? And what instrument does your ear tune to when you listen to it? The lead guitar. Brooke is there playing bass, right? And they have him turned all the way down. <laughs> Love you, Brooke. <laughs> and, but, but we don't sit and listen to the bass line. We listen to the lead guitar, right? And we listen to the vocals. And we listen to, whereas with Fugue, you listen to all three parts together. And so like part of the, this lecture was all about like learning to listen to all three parts. And what it is is they all three play the same So it'll be a phrase, like the first instrument will play the phrase, and then sort of mess around with it a little bit, and then the second instrument will come in, and it'll either have to be the highest or the lowest one so you can tell, right? Like, so it stands out, and so, like, the first instrument plays, and then the higher instrument comes in and plays that phrase, and you hear it in a different, like, octave. That's the right word, right? Um, I'm musically declined, and then they fiddle around with it and change it and mess with it and interact with it. And then the third instrument comes in, and it's usually the deepest one. And it plays that same phrase right there, right? And they're all playing the same little, like, tune. But then they interact with it together. And it's all three instruments are playing the same tune. They're all a part of each other because it's one piece of music. One isn't better than the other, Right? And as they're introduced, they're introduced in a way that you pay attention to each one of them and its role in the music individually, right? And in the scriptures, we see where God the Father is introduced in the beginning, right? God the Father is the creator. God the Father is the glorious one. God the Father speaks and the earth shakes. God the Father is holy and set apart. He's passionate and he's all of these things. And we, we, we experience him in a very real way. And in in Christ, we encounter the second instrument, right? Um, Part of the first one, but distinct, its own person. And so as we dive into John 1, John is sort of clarifying this idea, but he's doing it in a really difficult way, and we're going to try and do our best with it. Um, A little background here. John is, this is the Christmas story, but it is the least Christmassy version of the Christmas story. Everybody got it? (laughs) Um, John neglects to mention Shepherds or angels or, I mean, this is, this, is, um, this is up there in your head, complicated stuff, okay? But this is the story of, of Jesus from the very beginning. It's a little like saying, well, let me tell you a story, but I got to back up to the very beginning. I was born in, got it? Um, so John goes all the way back and tells the big version of the story. Um, he is writing his gospel after the other ones. Um, The other disciples are actually probably all dead at this point. John is the last man standing. He's the only one who died of natural causes um, in prison. Um, But he's in his 90s. This is at the end of the first century. He is a very old man, um, and he probably dictated a lot of this book. Um, But but John is writing well after all the others, and he's answering questions the other guys, like, raised. The people are like, well, wait a minute. If Matthew says this, what does that mean about this? Or Mark talks about this. What does that mean? And so John does a really good job of um, relaying the gospel into the culture that they're writing to, right? Which is because there are no Jewish people in Israel anymore. Okay? In 70 AD, the Romans came through, burned the place down, and exported everyone. They moved all the Jews out. Nobody lives in Israel who's Jewish. And it was illegal to practice the Jewish faith in Israel anymore. That was the end of it, Right? Because the Romans were just sick and tired of messing with them. Um, And so, like, John is writing, and some of his audience is Jewish people, but that's the smallest part. Some of them are pagan Greek people, right? These are people who just don't know who the God of the Bible is, and so they practice their other religions or whatever. All of them are Greek, though. Everybody with me? Everybody in the whole world was Hellenized. It means they were Greek. I made that word up. Not Hellenized. That's the... The scholarly word, Greek, is um, everybody spoke Greek. Everybody understood Greek philosophy. Everybody, like, saw the world from a Greek perspective. And then you had a big crowd of Jewish Greeks, Hellenized Jews is what they were called. And they had a very weird perspective on God. And, like, that shaped how John writes. Okay? We're going to get into that in in a second. Um, So John starts in the beginning, right? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. That's the first two verses. Now watch this. In the beginning, um, anybody recognize that phrase from somewhere else in the Bible? That's Genesis 1-1, right? And why does he do it that way? To make the point that before the creation came about, before time and space and um, Legos and small children and everything else came into existence, before anything was, was God and the Word, right? So he's saying, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God." So God is there before the creation, before time, before everything, and the Word is with Him. The Word He uses there for Word, yeah. Um, the the Greek phrase, the Greek there is logos. Everybody with me? Say it, logos. Logos is a complicated word and it had a lot of meaning. Um, to everyone and all their meanings were different but John picks it because everybody has a different perspective on it everybody with me anybody who is a christian would immediately recognize logos is Jesus right anybody who is a jewish person would see logos and they would think well logos means wisdom it means the torah it means like all of these things and so they would look at it and they'd say oh yeah Like, he's talking about the scriptures, and he's talking about the idea of wisdom. Of course the scriptures were with God before he created the world, right? Now, that's important. So a Jewish person reads this, and that's what they get out of it. A pagan Greek would read it, and logos for them was a philosophy term that refers to sort of this perfect knowledge that exists outside of creation. Or outside of the world we live in, they didn't see it as creation. So, like, this perfect version of knowledge. Everybody with me? And this perfect version of knowledge um, is like this out there idea. And like we might be able to work closer to it or further away from it, but like there was no interacting with it like in, a, in an immediate sense. And so John writes and he uses this word knowing that everyone has an idea of what it means. And he's doing that because he's drawing everyone into an argument, right? They don't know they're about to get an argument, Everybody with me? So John is a very clever writer. Can I have my slides back? Or are you still messing with them? Okay. Um, <laughs> she takes them away every once in a while. I can't see what I'm doing anymore. Um, so the other thing I wanted to talk about here—it's um, up here. Uh, the word was—the word was up here. That word was is written in Greek because everybody spoke Greek, and it's in what's called the imperfect tense. All right. Now the tense is like we have past, present, and future, right? We sort of have imperfect, but it doesn't mean the same thing. What John is writing is he's saying, listen, before the creation, outside of the creation, the word was with God. And the way he's saying was, it means that the word was continually with God, meaning that the word existed outside of the creation, always was there, always will be there. Everybody with me? Now, he does that on purpose because in a couple verses, when he talks about the word stepping into the world, he stops using that tense, and he uses a different one to indicate, hey, he just showed up. All right? Because what John is saying is the Logos always, always, always existed. There was never a time when the Logos didn't exist. And that's really complicated because if God created time, like I'm saying always, what's always? Always is time. Right? Like, so you can't even really understand it from our perspective. It's super, super, super tough. But just be aware, like, always is as good as it gets. Um, the Logos always was. Um, why is this important? Well, um, because John is making a case for the fact that Jesus is God. Everybody with me? He's beginning to lay this groundwork, but he's drawing in these other guys. Um, And we'll explain why in a second. Um, Whoa, that's not where I wanted to be. I'm sorry, you weren't done. Can I have the next slide? Sorry, Jess is like she recognizes when I screw up my slides. And so she's back there fixing it while I'm talking, um, which is why she doesn't fall asleep during the sermons. Um, (laughs) I assume. Um, All things, this is three and four, all things were made through him and without him, Um, was not anything made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men. Now, so he says, listen, all things were made through him. So now the Jewish reader is reading this and he says, well, of course, through wisdom, God would create the world. That makes sense, right? Um, Of course, through like the Torah, through the word of God, through this like knowledge that God gives us of himself, he would create the world through that. That makes sense. No argument here. Um, the greek like pagan would read it and he's saying oh wow all things were created through the logos except there's a hymn there right They're like well that's kind of weird but like all things were created through the logos that makes sense it makes sense that wisdom would be a part of the world coming into existence but what the christian would read is through jesus the world was made through jesus the world came into existence um Jesus is literally the expression of God, right? Like, I I met my wife at some point 100 years ago. Um, It was a long time ago. Um, And when we met, she was just this person, right? Until we started talking. Once we start talking, I began to understand who she is, because a great deal of who we are is sort of expressed in our outward talking, right? And part of what John is playing on is this idea that God is. Um, God's expression of himself comes through Jesus, like his full revelation of himself. He reveals himself. He identifies. He shows himself. When you say, God, show yourself, it's Jesus that we see, right? Because that's how God, like, like puts himself out there. Um, and so, for a Jewish or a Christian reader, um, it is very hard to do this without the text in front of me. Um, can I have it back? Okay. Um, for the Christian reader, the Christian would read it and they're saying, oh, through Jesus, everything was made. Without him, there was nothing that came into existence, meaning he is pre existent. Nothing in the creation is there without Jesus. Jesus is, um, in him was life. And the life was the light given to men. Now, life and light are recurring themes in this book. We're going to hear a lot about them from John. But what John is doing here, watch this. He says, in him was life, and life was the light of men. So he begins to play out this idea of darkness and light, right? Um, And here's where this gets tricky. Like for the pagan, the pagan reads, in him was light. And the pagan would think light and dark are sort of this fighting thing, right? Dark is active. Dark is there. Dark is like... You know, this always existed, and there's fighting, and there's like the yin and the yang, right? Like they're beating it out, and then like the world is always back and forth between the light and the dark and everything else. And John is saying, listen, there was no dark. There's this life and the light that was in him, and light that was given to men, all knowledge of what the world can be, all life that we have, everything is given to men by Christ, right? It's so breathing of life into us. The whole nine yards is a gift from Jesus. Um, anybody lost yet? This is kind of tougher, right? It's not like, you know, and then the shepherd showed up. It is a tougher passage. Um, but we'll get there. Part of this is that God is revealing himself to men. God is showing who he is to men. But we only get a small glimpse because, right, because in the creation, I can see God. Um, Carly called us up the other night and was like, Eric, if you go outside right now, you can see the northern lights. And I went out in my <laughs> robe and slippers <laughs> and stood on the lawn and looked up and said, hey, it's green over there. And look, it's kind of green over there. And there's some flashing. That's really awesome. Right. And I look at that and I can say, God is amazing because God paints the skies for us. Right. Right. Um, However, is that full knowledge of who God is? No, it is a limited knowledge of who God is. If I read the Old Testament, do I know who God is? Yeah, kind of, but to really know who God is, I need to read the Gospels. I need to know Jesus, right? And so, like, the light that is given to men initially is partial. It is small version. It is not complete. Um, it's a little like, have you ever sat in a dark room and like turned on a light and your eyes hurt? Um, but you could step outside and it would be much brighter, like much, much brighter. And so the light that men get is revelation of God. It's identity of who God is, but it isn't complete. It's a small version. Um, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So this is where this is going to get a little trickier. John is beginning to play up the later themes in this book. Um, Dark in this sense is active evil, right? There are people in this world who are evil. Everybody want to buy that as a truth? Do you need to debate it with anyone? There are people out there who like murder because they want to. There are people out there who steal because it's better for them. There are people out there who you know, oppress the poor and and all of this. There are evil people in this world. And even though the evil that exists in this world is as a result of the fall, the creation is broken as a result of the fall. There is no getting away from that fact. Like we live in a fallen, lost world. Um, The light, it shines into this, and you cannot, you can't beat God. You can't foil his plan. When God makes a decision, when God picks a direction, you can't undo that, right? Right. But his plans are somewhat more complicated than ours, and we don't always understand them. But you cannot undo God's plan. Um, By the way, there's another creation thing here. What's the first thing that God says in creating the world? Let there be light. And so part of what he's pointing out here is, look, the world was created. Let there be light. The word was before. And now he's also saying, hey, look, the light came into the world. And the darkness, he hasn't said that yet. He says, the darkness can't overtake the light. The light cannot lose out to the darkness. Um, the light is basically unbeatable. Um, and really, you can't throw enough darkness at light to beat it. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm, you know, it's dark in Montana at night, right? You walk outside, it's dark. Um, but the fact of the matter is you can't throw enough dark at, you know, my lit flashlight to make my flashlight not lit. Um, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, Um, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. Now, John is including this because we know from the book of Acts and a couple other places, there are a bunch of folks who are John's followers who converted, and they would say things like, hey, I'm from the baptism of John, right? And Paul later argues with these guys, like, hey, It's not John, it's not this guy, it's not that guy, it's Jesus, right? You belong to Jesus. And it seems like maybe people were still arguing about this. I'm a follower of John the Baptist. Well, John wasn't here on his own. John was here to testify. Um, There are a couple of words in there that are huge, by the way, because they play in later. Testify and witness. And John does this cool thing, and the Jewish reader would pick it out, because the Old Testament is full of it, um, where he starts breaking out court language, Right? and trial language, and legal language. And if you read the Old Testament, there are spots. It's a whole genre of Jewish literature, which is crazy. They had a whole genre of Jewish literature where God has trials with people. Job, if you read Job properly, like Job demands his day in court. He wants to testify on his own behalf before God. And then when he gets a chance, he doesn't say anything. Um, Sorry, God, sorry, sorry kind of thing. And so, like, John is breaking out this this courtroom thing because he is presenting an account for Christ to, like, these Hellenized Jews. He's saying, hey, listen, this man John, who was he? John the Baptist, right? How do we know? Well, we don't really, is doesn't say John the Baptist. Actually, John is also the guy writing this book, which is sort of a funny thing because John never identifies himself in the writing until the very end when he accidentally probably accidentally on purpose, like, gives way that it's him who's writing it, right? But he never mentions the Apostle John. He never mentions John by name in his interactions with Jesus. He never – like all of that stuff's left out. As so he mentions John, and there's no discussion. It's just John. Everybody knew it was John the Baptist. Um, well, the pagans probably didn't because they didn't know John anyway. Um, he came to bear witness to the light. John came to prepare the way. He was setting the path for this light coming into the world. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, watch this. True light um, has two meanings. And what John is doing here is he's giving us two meanings. Um, For the pagan, true light would mean, like, this is what real wisdom is, right? And part of what he's doing there is that meaning. He's saying the true light, meaning like the real God, the real Savior, the real man with the answers, is coming. Right? I mean, and there are people all over the place who will tell you things that are not the true light. They'll say, hey, this is the way. If you, you know, give enough money to my ministry, you'll go to heaven. Nope, don't work that way. If you, you know, believe hard enough, God will give you money, and that's what's really good in life. Nope. Nope. That's not how it works. Um, There are people who present false lights all the time. The true light is Jesus himself. And that true light is the only way that life comes to us. It's the only pathway to heaven that we're given. Like, this is it. And so he's identifying true light in contrast to fake light. Got it? And the pagans would understand that. However, I thought I knew what bright was until... You you turn the light on in my bedroom at night and burn my eyes, right? I thought it was bright until I stepped outside and I saw what light is, right? Um, The Jewish people were blessed because they were given God's word. They were given revelation of God. This is who God is, right? They were given immediate, like, perception and understanding of God. And guess what? They still screwed it up because, you know, because people are fallen and lost, We're going to get to that in a minute. Um, They were given a small version, a taste of what it would be. And then the day comes that, they get the real thing, right? Um, Maybe a way to compare it would be um, uh, I've played quite a few video games with cars. Anybody ever? You know I'm talking about these things that exist. Or you drive with a little controller, and it makes loud rooming noises, and it's lots of fun. You can crash into stuff, and and I really love. I mean, they always have like the different sports cars and Ferraris and everything else. I always want to drive the old muscle cars, right? That's, I mean, because that's you know, that's a guy thing, I think. You know, there's ah, you know, it's tough. It's strong. Um, and I have played a lot of video games like that in my life because I've wasted a lot of time. Um, I mean. No, anyway, I can't can't defend that. Um, A couple of years ago, uh, um, the Anderson boy, whose name is Justin, thank you, I'm working up to it, came out here with a car. It was a muscle car he was given as a wedding gift. And he let me drive it around the town. And there's a set of skid marks out on one of the roads. I'm not going to tell you where so nobody can actually blame me. But where I hit the brake, I jammed on the gas. Tires spun, let go, and it squealed like quarter mile. I mean, it was crazy. There was so much muscle in that thing. Now, hey, it was not me. Um, <laughs> it was before you were born. Um, <laughs> video game next to Justin's car. Understand? One is a taste of it. The other is the real thing. We understand who God is by reading, like, the Old Testament, but we understand who God really is in Jesus. God gives us glimpses of himself and his holiness and his awesomeness, but we see him from a completely different angle here. Um, God's, like, big, huge, awesome presence is throughout the scriptures, but his personality is easiest to read in Christ. Because it's that second instrument that comes in and starts playing the same tune that God's always played, right? But it's a different, like, voice. And so God steps into this world. He fully reveals himself. He, like, is the true light compared to the smaller version of the light that we had before. That's the other meaning John's putting out there. Everybody understand this? Everybody's still awake. Say, I'm not awake if you're not awake. Um, (laughs) It's tough, I know. Um, (laughs) So um, this true light is coming into the world, meaning he is stepping out of his proper abode, right, and into the story. It's a little like being an author. I'm not an author. Um, I do not write novels. If I were writing a novel and suddenly I was able to insert myself in the story, right, that would be like for me to live physically in the story I'm writing would be a weird thing, wouldn't it? Um, But that's as close as I can compare. God has created. He has set history. He has, like, planned things out, and then he steps into the story. He's not limited by it. He's not forced to live in it. He could set the whole thing on fire if he didn't want to continue, right? God steps out of his proper abode and into the world. Um, Why is this important? It's important because at this point the Jewish reader is saying, wait a minute, the Logos – The Torah, the law, wisdom stepped into the world? Yeah, because Jesus is wisdom, right? He is wisdom literally like the person of wisdom. Jesus is like the law because he obeys it perfectly and exemplifies God's holiness, right? Like Jesus is all of these things in flesh, like these shadows from before. This is the big real thing. 10 and 11. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Meaning, he stepped into the world, but he created it. He did not belong to it. He was not subjected to it. He was not forced into it. He created it. He was before it. Yet the world did not know him. Now watch this. Um, John is going to, throughout his gospel, he's going to build up this idea that the world rejects him. Right? That Jesus is God come in this world and that the world constantly like has rejected God from the beginning. When they got a partial understanding of the knowledge of God, what did they do? They rebelled. It was like a national pastime for the Jewish people. (laughs) What are we supposed to do? How can we break this? Is there a clever way we can break this, a new way? And so they constantly like would, you know, and the world didn't know him because um, it's a little like there are days when I oversleep. And my wife comes in and turns the lights on, right? And in response to her turning the lights on to force me out of bed, I do the thing an adult would do: grab the covers and pull them over my head. And the room continues to be dark, and sleep continues to exist, right? Um, Jesus steps into the world. The light, like, like the light, enters the darkness. And the only way that the world can stay in darkness is close your eyes, quick. <laughs> I can't see you Titus does that now. Like, you say something to him he doesn't like, he covers his ears. It's not going to change anything, right? You've seen him do it. Yeah, I <laughs> see Larry back there. He, uh, and so the world does not know him. Like, he's there, but the world is so broken, so hardened by sin, so lost that they don't know him. He came to his own, to his own people. And his own people did not receive him. So he came to the Jewish people, the people who should have known him best because they've gotten glimpses of him all the way, right? We know who God is because of these things. We know that his son is coming because the prophets talked about it. I mean, they were like explicit. Read Isaiah like 52 to 55. You're going to see Jesus' life laid out 700 years before he was born. These guys had to memorize it in school. They could rattle it off the cuff like it was nothing. And when he showed up, they still didn't know who he was. They still didn't recognize him. They still didn't understand. Um, and his own people reject him. We see this, by the way, in um, the rest of this first half of the book. The first half of John all the way up to about chapter 10, if you could put a title on it, would be Jesus shows up and his people don't know him, and they reject him. Got it? Um, actually, throughout the Old Testament, we see this. I'm, um, this rejection theme throughout the Gospel, uh, Jeremiah seven twenty-five to 26, from the day that your fathers came out of the land of the, uh, Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, uh, the prophets, to them day after day, yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffen their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Jeremiah is talking about this idea that, listen, I've sent messengers, sent messengers, sent messengers, and your people <laughs> dug in and I can't hear you, Right? Jesus, God himself, shows up. And the people should know who he is. They should recognize him. And instead, they cover their ears and reject him. They turn away. Not because they're dumb, but because they're willful. Right? It drives me nuts about my my kids. They'll know what they're supposed to do. I'll say it. Go do this. And what do they do? The opposite. It's not that they don't know better. It's that they... Want to do what they want to do, right? And as crazy as it is to watch our kids do it, most people do it all the time when we rebel against God. We find ways to say, God, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but you don't know that, jerk. Right? God, I know I'm supposed to like be like Jesus to my spouse and sacrifice myself for her and love her and be caring and everything else. But you know what? I think you were wrong about this one. Right? I mean, it's true. Like, we do this, and every time we back up and we say, I don't think so, God. You know, hey, I love you, God, but I don't think so. We're doing the exact same thing, but we're doing it with the full knowledge, which is, is probably worse, actually. Um, and I say that as a guy who does it. Ask my wife. She'll tell you all about it. No, she won't because she loves me and she's wonderful. Um, John 12, this is much later in the book. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that word was, fu- was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah had said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw the glory and spoke of him. Um, what's John saying? John's saying, look, this is what happened. They rejected him. They knew him, but they rejected him. Jesus predicted it repeatedly. Actually, there's a great story in John where he like, feeds 5,000 people with a couple of loaves of bread and some fish. And the next day they come back and they're like, hey, can we have some more bread? And he's like, you're only following me because I'm feeding you. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. If you're from God, maybe you could show us a miracle. You know, Moses made bread in the desert. Bring up dinner. And Jesus responds, you know what? They didn't believe God when he gave them manna. They rebelled when he gave them manna. I'm the true bread of life. If you want life, you eat me. You drink my blood. You eat my flesh. And the people are like, whoa, that's enough of that. I'm going to Denny's. They'll feed me. Um, because they saw miracles and they hardened their hearts. They saw gifts from God. They saw awesome works and they said, this is what I want. I don't care what you want, God. I know what the light is. I'm not about that. And people do it all the time. We live in a world full of folks who are doing that. Honestly, I do it even though I'm Like, a follower of Jesus, and I know all of you, and I'm not saying it because I don't like you. I love all of you. I do what I do because I love all of y'all. Like, but we all rebel. We all fail. Um, And God loves us so much that he saved us anyway. Isn't that amazing? Um, And so Jesus comes into the world to save the world. He comes in the world, um, but to all who did receive him, now we're going to shift gears here, but For to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now watch this. Um, There are folks who the light comes into the world and they open their eyes and they embrace it. Um, That life is offered to them and they accept it. That salvation in Christ is there and they step into it and become a part of it. Right. They believe in his name. What that means is it's not just, oh, I believe his name was Jesus. I mean, that would be a very kind of simple reading of it. It means they believed his character. They believed his message. And they believed in the like salvation that he offered. They believed his teachings and they followed them like this is what they became. And they had the right to become children of God. Now watch this. Children of God is how they referred to Jewish people. Right. So the Jewish reader all of a sudden is like, what? I'm a child of God because of Abraham's promise. And what John is saying here is, it's not about the promise. It's not about who your parents are. It's not about where you're from. It's about believing and following Jesus, period. Um, And it's not because you want it. It's not because you're trying real hard and you're so awesome. It's because God loves you and stepped into the world to save you. Can't do it on your own. Can't work it up on your own. It's not because you deserve it. It's because God loves you beyond description. Despite our rebellion, despite closing our eyes, despite the fact that honestly my rebelling against God is every bit as bad as the guys who nailed him to the cross. Um, And he still died for me, and he still died for you. That is amazing. Now, why is it a big deal that John started at the beginning? First off, it's because Jesus is a big deal. Got it? Jesus is not a guy who just passed on through, he is a big deal. He is a big enough deal that he can save us. He is a big enough deal that he can make us into brand new people. He created the world. He recreates us time and again, right? Um, that's when, by the way, right here he talks about we're born, not of the blood, and all this. We see this again in John chapter 3, preached on it about six months ago. Um, born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. That's what he's talking about, right? Born of God's will. Born of his spirit, which is the third instrument, but we're not talking about that today, Um What does this mean to us? It means, first off, that there's assurance there. As bad as I've ever been, I can be saved in Jesus. As bad as you've ever been, as much as you've rebelled, as much as you've done wrong, God can forgive you. He continues to love you, right? Second, it means that the end is not the end. If God created everything, he's outside of creation. That means my family members, my loved ones, everyone who's gone for now continues to exist because the God who made everything can bring them back. Um, and that's one of the promises we're given, that the resurrection will happen in the end and everybody who passed will rise again to be judged, right? And those in Christ will be called into heaven. Um, and so, like, those of y'all who are here mourning, we talked about, honestly, I've talked to a lot, not a lot of people who have died here in the last few months. And, like, I promise you, every one of them, we have assurance because God is that big that they're not gone. But that's something to trust. It's something to have hope in. That's why Christmas is worth celebrating. Um, and finally, it means that that light that we carry around to us. Who is here for the Christmas Eve service? Always end the Christmas Eve service the same way, right? Pass out candles and we light a candle and we spread it out and it sort of spreads like a tide, right? And by the end, everybody's got a lit candle in their hand. It means that those of us who are lit like with the light that Jesus brings into this world, that salvation that Christ provides, that new life. We carry that light with us in the world. And there are those who are going to encounter you and they're going to say, I don't know what makes that guy's life so bright, but I want a part of it. Right? There are those who will encounter you and will look at the light and say, man, you are too bright. Get out of here. And they will hate you for just having it. But our job is to carry that light and to share it with everyone we encounter. Um, John does an amazing job of, telling us about the birth of Jesus um, in a very different way in terms of his bigness and his awesomeness, um, in terms of like what we're called to be. We're called to believe in his name and then to carry the light he gives us into the world. My challenge for you today, I'm a little long, I'm sorry. My challenge for you today is to carry that light with you, is to carry that hope with you, is to believe and follow that, that man, that God who created you. Understand God's Son before everything loved you, before everything planned to die for you. Let's pray and carry the light with you. Share it with those you encounter. Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with us today um, and this week. And Lord God, as, as we kind of come out of the Christmas season, Lord God, I pray that we wouldn't forget that you came into this world, that the light um, invaded the darkness, um, and that we wouldn't forget our inclination to not believe, to reject you, Lord, that we're like you know, every other sinner that ever was, Lord. We, we're always inclined to rebel, but that your will saves us, that your love and your heart and your master plan is what brings us out of the darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's close